the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. There are times when we identify with Jesus Christ and that identification with Jesus Christ, it comes at a cost. There's a price that we pay, a personal price. It may cost you a promotion at work. You may get passed over. You may even lose your job because you've identified as a follower of Jesus Christ. It may cost you friends, friendships, relationships, identifying with Jesus Christ. Jesus never said following him would be easy. In fact, the Bible tells many stories about believers who didn't have it easy. Some even lost family, friends, and status because of their beliefs. Maybe you've experienced this or are afraid to experience it, so you don't speak out for what or who you believe in. Take heart. Pastor Dan shares today that the Bible tells us God doesn't leave or forsake, even if others do. The Lord will be with you wherever you go. Don't be afraid to stand upon the truth of Jesus Christ. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 45, for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Just to give you some background on Baruch that we've seen in the scriptures in the book of Jeremiah, Baruch came from a very affluent family in Jerusalem. He was from a well-connected family politically, an influential family politically. If you're a note taker, back in chapter 32, verse 12, we're told that he was the grandson of the governor of Jerusalem during Josiah's reign. That's That's a pretty big deal. He was the grandson of the governor of Jerusalem. In chapter 51, verse 59, we see that his brother was an advisor to King Zedekiah. So Baruch had family connections. He was from a well-connected family, an influential family politically in Judah. And because of that, Baruch could have had a a high-profile position within the government an appointed position. He could have had a place of honor. He could have had a place of privilege serving the king. But Baruch chose to serve the Lord. He chose to identify with God. And because Baruch chose to serve the Lord, his choice came at a very high cost for him. Because you remember, Jeremiah was not popular with the politicians. He was not popular with the king or the governors. They, they put him in prison for his preaching. And Baruch, at some point in his life, he made a decision to identify with God. He made a decision to serve the Lord. And it was a decision that effectively killed any future opportunities he would have. 
It was a, a decision that killed his career. It was a decision that severed all of his family connections. There are times when we identify with Jesus Christ and that identification with Jesus Christ, it comes at a cost. There's a price that we pay, a personal price. It may cost you a promotion at work. You may get passed over. You may even lose your job because you've identified as a follower of Jesus Christ. It may cost you friends, friendships, relationships, identifying with Jesus Christ. Someone may target you because you identify with Jesus Christ. We've seen in recent years where business owners have been targeted because of their faith in Jesus Christ and because they believe the Bible and people have gone after them and sued them and tried to just drive them out of business because they despise what they believe and what they stand for. That might happen. That's just the time that we live in. You might get labeled as a bigot or a hater because of your identification with Jesus Christ and your belief in the Bible and what it teaches. I mean, that's just the reality of the world that we live in today. And Jesus said, count the cost, right? He said, count the cost of being his disciple because many times when we choose to identify with Jesus Christ or we choose to uh, speak out for what we believe, it comes at a cost. I think of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, who before his conversion to Christ, he was this prominent Pharisee. He had a position of honor within Judaism. Some believe he was in line to become the high priest. He had recognition, and he lost all of it when he began to follow Christ. It cost him a lot to follow Christ. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul said that he suffered the loss of all things, For the sake of Jesus Christ. It cost Paul everything. Everything he gained. Everything he achieved. Everything he worked for. His reputation. His position. His status. Some believe his family. His friends. Everything. He lost it all. But then he says. But he gained Christ. Right. And remember Paul says. Everything else is worthless. It's dung. When compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. There was a cost there. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul said, The world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. In other words, the world is, is dead to me, Paul said, but also the world now counts me as dead. Because I follow Christ. The world has written me off, Paul says. Because I've identified my life with Christ. There's a cost. I think of John the Baptist in the New Testament. John the Baptist was born into the family of a priest. His father, Zacharias, and his mother, Elizabeth, they both came from priest family. His father was a priest. And John, John would have grown up to serve as a priest in the temple, which was a very honorable position in that culture. That life would have provided him a comfortable life as a priest, life full of recognition as a priest. But God called John to something greater. And when John answered God's call, he closed the door to ever becoming a priest and serving in the temple. That door was closed forever because John answered God's call. It came at a cost for John. 
For Baruch here, when he made the choice to identify with God and serve God, he essentially threw away his future career in the king's palace and that life of affluence and power and honor and recognition and all of that. He signed all of that away when he identified with God. And in verse 3, Baruch laments what he has lost because he chose to identify with God. Again, look at verse 3. He says, woe is me now. For the Lord has added grief to my sorrow. I, I fainted in my sighing and I find no rest. Verse 4 says, thus you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, behold, what I have built, I will break down and what I have planted, I will pluck up. That is this whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them. It's a great verse right there. Do you seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them for behold, I will bring adversity on all flesh says the Lord, but I will give your life to you as a prize in all places, wherever you go. And I think what the Lord says to Baruch here is so important. And what the Lord does here is he gives Baruch an eternal perspective on his life and the choice that he has made. Baruch is looking solely at the temporal and what he's lost by identifying with God, what he has given up, what he has forsaken by identifying for God. He's only looking at the temporal. God gets his eyes on the eternal and shows him what he's gained. And the Lord says here to Baruch, essentially, hey, I'm going to destroy this nation. You're seeking greatness for yourself in this nation, but I'm going to bring great disaster on this nation. And what good is greatness in a wicked society? What good is being exalted and honored by people who dishonor God who are going to face the judgment of God? Who cares what they think about you? Who cares if they esteem you? They're facing the judgment of God. The Lord says here to Baruch, you're lamenting the honor that you've given up by identifying with me, but you've also given up suffering my judgment by identifying with me. (laughs) You've gained a lot more than you've given up. You know, in the New Testament, Peter has a similar sentiment. In 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Peter reminds us that one day God will judge this world, and the world will be judged by fire, and it's going to be dissolved. By God. It's going to melt with a fervent heat. And then Peter says after that, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. We shouldn't be living for the things of this world. They shouldn't be all that important to us because one day this world's going to disappear. And so here what the Lord says to Baruch is, hey, Baruch, you're lamenting over losing status among people that I'm going to judge. And I'm going to spare you because you identified with me. He just gives him that eternal perspective on his life. It's good to have. So now in chapter 46, we come to this prophecy against Egypt. And if you remember in our study of Jeremiah, after the Babylonians captured and destroyed Judah and Jerusalem, and remember the Babylonians installed a governor over Judah 
but that that governor was assassinated. And so the remnant that remained in Judah, they feared that the Babylonians would come back. And so the remnant that remained in Judah, they all fled down to Egypt and they sought refuge in Egypt. And that's where they are at this point. They're they're down in Egypt and they thought that they would be safe uh, in, in Egypt, you know, safe from the Babylonians that the Babylonian army won't get them in in Egypt. Uh, But here in chapter 46, we have this word of judgment against Egypt. And it says in verse 1, The word of the Lord, which came to Jeremiah the prophet against the nations, against Egypt. You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City, Maryland. We'll return to the second half of today's message in a moment. But first, here's a word from Pastor Dan. It's my privilege to share the Word of God with you through our radio ministry, Ring of Truth. Thank you for tuning in each day. Hey, I would love to hear from you. Will you take a moment to email me to tell me how these daily studies have ministered to you? I want to hear your story. You can email me through our website at calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. Now let's join him again for the conclusion of today's edition of Ring of Truth. Concerning the army of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, which was by the river Euphrates and Carchemish, and which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, defeated And the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. So this refers to the battle at Carchemish that took place in 605 BC. This is like, he's talking about something that happened like 25 years earlier. 25 years before the destruction of Jerusalem and Judah. Carchemish, there was this battle that took place there. Why is Jeremiah talking about this battle that took place 25 years before, 30 years before, at Carchemish in 605 BC? Well, in 605 BC, the Egyptian army joined forces with what was left of the Assyrian army to fight the Babylonians. And the Egyptian army marched from Egypt up through the land of Israel up to Carchemish, to fight against the Babylonians. And that battle took place at Carchemish. And the Egyptian and Assyrian army joined forces together and they were destroyed by the Babylonians at Carchemish. It was like their battle of Gettysburg for the Egyptians. It was a huge loss. It was one of the worst defeats in Egypt's history. Huge. Now it's 25 years later, 30 years later, That remnant in Judah has fled down to Egypt for refuge from the Babylonians. And what does the Lord do? He reminds the people of Judah of Carchemish. You're you're trusting in Egypt. Don't you remember what happened at Carchemish? Don't you see the folly of trusting in Egypt and thinking that the Egyptians are going to protect you from the Babylonians? So he brings that up. Verses 1 and 2, about Carchemish. Now, verse 3, it begins now in verse 3 to describe uh, really how Egypt viewed themselves as they marched off to fight this battle 
against the Babylonians at Carchemish. Verse 3, order the buckler and shield and draw near to battle. Harness the horses and mount up your horsemen. Stand forth with your helmets. Polish the spears. Put on the armor. You have this image here of the Egyptian army marching off. They're passing through the land of Israel, heading up to Carchemish. They're going to take on the Babylonians. And they've got their uniforms and their horses and their chariots. The Egyptians were very self-confident. They thought, there's no way we're going to lose. Look at our army. And as they marched through the land of Judah, the people of Judah saw the greatness of the Egyptian army. And in fact, the army of Judah and the Egyptian army entered into a battle at Megiddo. As Egypt was passing through, heading up to Carchemish, they get into a fight there at Megiddo. And the Egyptians just devastate the army of Judah. They kill Josiah the king in battle. He's wounded and he dies. And then the Egyptians just keep going. And they head up to Carchemish, full of confidence, right? There's no way they can lose. Verse 5, Then why have I seen them dismayed and turned back? They're mighty ones. Speaking of the Egyptians, they're beaten down. They have speedily fled and did not look back, for fear was all around, says the Lord. Do not let the swift flee away, nor the mighty man escape. They will stumble and fall toward the north by the river of Euphrates. Carchemish was on the river Euphrates. This is describing Egypt's defeat at Carchemish after winning this easy battle for them against Judah down at Megiddo. This great army marches up and they are humiliated. Look at verse 7. Who is this coming up like a flood whose waters move like the rivers? Egypt rises up like a flood and its waters move like the rivers. And he says, I will go up and cover the earth. I will destroy the cities and its inhabitants. The Egyptian army was like the Nile River flooding all of the earth, flooding the land, covering the land. Their army was so large. Verse 8, Egypt boasted that it will cover all the earth like a flood, destroying the cities and their people. Again, Egypt was, was confident, self-confident, overly confident. What does the Bible say? Pride goes before the fall, right? And here they go in their pride, marching off to fight the Babylonians, passing through the land of Israel, you know, like a flood, flooding the land, unstoppable. Come up, O horses, and rage, O chariots. And let the mighty men come forth, the Ethiopians and the Libyans who handle the shield and the Lydians who handle and bend the bow. These were all grouped in with the Egyptian army. Verse 10. The Egyptian army you know, charges confidently into battle against the Babylonians, but they're swiftly defeated. For this is the day of the Lord God of hosts, the God of armies. It's a day of vengeance, that he may avenge himself on his adversaries. The sword shall devour, it shall be satiated and made drunk with their blood. For the Lord God of hosts has a sacrifice. And the north country by the river 
Euphrates. This, this is the day of the vengeance of the Lord against Egypt. For the way that the Egyptians treated the children of Israel. The day of vengeance finally comes around. Where God takes vengeance on them. He describes Egypt as a sacrifice of the Lord God. An offering that he's making. And then the Lord says to Egypt, go up to Gilead and take balm. O virgin, the daughter of Egypt, in vain you will use many medicines. You shall not be cured. Uh, the, the region of Gilead was known for its balms and its ointments and its medicine. It was, they sent medicine throughout the ancient world. It was known throughout the world for its medicines that they created and made there. And here the point is, there's no remedy that will help Egypt. There's no medicine. There's nothing they can do to save them from God's wrath, from God's judgment. You shall not be cured. Verse 12 says, The nations have heard of your shame, and your cry has filled the land, for the mighty man has stumbled against the mighty. They both have fallen. Their mighty warriors in the battle against the Babylonians They became confused in the battle. They became afraid. They ran into each other. We actually know because the Babylonians kept chronicles of their battles. They're called the Chronicles of Babylon or the Babylonian Chronicles. They write about this battle at Carchemish. And the Babylonian army talks about, they write about how the Babylonian army caught the Egyptians by surprise at Carchemish. And the Egyptian army was so confused and so afraid that they literally dropped their weapons on the battlefield and fled on foot. Just as it says how they ran and they didn't look back. And the Babylonians just chased them down and slaughtered them. And and according to the Babylonian chronicles, whether it's an exaggeration or not, we don't know. But they, they claim nobody, they didn't let any of the Egyptians escape. They killed them all on the battlefield. Verse 13 says, The word that the Lord spoke to Jeremiah the prophet how Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, would come and strike the land of Egypt. So now this is looking ahead into the future. The first 12 verses are looking back to this battle at Carchemish that happened some 25 or 30 years before this. Now the Lord says Nebuchadnezzar is going to come into the land of Egypt and he's going to strike the land of Egypt. Verse 14. Declare in Egypt and proclaim in Migdal, proclaim in Nav, Tafani. These are all Egyptian cities. Say, stand fast and prepare yourselves for the sword devours all around you. Declare throughout all of Egypt, get ready for battle. The Babylonians are coming. and The Babylonian sword will devour everything around you, it says. Why are your valiant Men swept away. They did not stand because the Lord drove them away. This is the Lord's doing. Egypt's defeat is the Lord's doing. He made many fall. Yes, one fell upon another. And they said, Arise, let us go back to our own people and to the land of our nativity from the oppressing sword. They cried there, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is but a noise. He has passed by the appointed time. Pharaoh, you're all talk. Pharaoh, you're all talk and no action. He asked me how I know, and I said, 
When you look at the book of Jeremiah at a glance, it seems like the overarching theme is judgment and negative consequence. But as you take a closer look, you're given a microscopic lens into the heart of God. Yes, there was judgment and eventual exile. But think about how long-suffering and patient God was in giving them multiple chances to repent from their ways and separate from their sin. What an amazing and hopeful picture of God's heart toward you. He is just and fair in handing out consequences to those who willfully go against what he's offering. But like a patient parent, he gives grace and mercy when you vacillate between following him and venturing elsewhere. Ultimately, God wants you to choose him wholeheartedly, and he wants to bless you. Take the book of Jeremiah as a continual reminder that God is gracious and merciful, but he'll bring judgment on those who refuse his ways. If you want to talk to someone and better understand what all of this means, don't hesitate to call us at 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. We're so glad you joined us today on Ring of Truth. Feel free to study this book on your own in the meantime. In our next edition, Pastor Dan will share more from the book of Jeremiah and provide a deeper understanding of how to apply it to your life here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that craft and what I know because I know his voice and it only takes Rings true.